0: This is a special edition of Famous
1: Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Christopher, today we have a tribute to David Crosby, who has passed away at the age of 81. Crosby was a major figure in music history and possibly the least shy rock star of his era. (laughs) So Christopher, go ahead.
0: Tom, David Crosby's place in rock history was assured over five decades ago. As a founding member of the Byrds, and then with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, he was there at the very beginnings of the folk rock era, and he was an essential element in the sound of those bands. His unique approach to vocal harmonies helped to define those groups and their influence is heard to this day. In the intervening half-century, Crosby has stayed busy making music with a variety of collaborators, including his longtime CSN partner Graham Nash, and his son, James Raymond. He wrote two autobiographies, which spared no details of a life lived intensely, to say the least, and at considerable risk to the well being of the subject. The tributes that have followed his passing almost always contain at least a passing reference to strife between former friends, yep. but they always end up hailing his unique talent and the importance of the work that he did over the years. David Crosby died on January 19th at age 81. Tom, I met David Crosby in 1989 at the time of a renewed creative outburst. Mm He would recorded a recent album with CSNY called American Dream, and he talks about that. And subsequent to the book, I had released a solo album called Yes, I Can. I found him to be a fascinating character. He was very upbeat, very gregarious and easygoing. He had a great sense of humor. Mm -hmm and he still showed an incredible love for making music which which was really heartwarming yeah given that his book had documented some precipitous ups and downs many very public i asked how he thought the american public treated their heroes
2: the american public uh yes sometimes they'll set you up like a straw man just to knock you down you know but at the same time they love an underdog you know it's funny thing when you're on top uh, if they think you get too arrogant with it they do kind of like to see you fall flat on your face and they sometimes and some of them can be pretty cruel about it you know a lot of the press wrote me off as being dead you know and pretty v- harshly but I frankly gave them the ammo you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't really have any too many hard feelings You know, there were a couple of them that said stuff that, that wasn't true you know Spin did but yeah most of the most of them it was pretty fair you know but the american public at the same time if you're willing to try to put yourself here together will come back for you and give you all the support and heart in the world you know and that's what they've done
1: that's fascinating he says Mm. americans want to knock you down if you've been arrogant but they also like an underdog and want to build you back up again very interesting
0: Well, I think Americans love a comeback story. Yes. I think that is a specifically American trait. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and he had to tap into that public sentiment, let's say. For sure. (laughs) Um, For the new Solar Record, he gathered some very famous friends together. People love working with David Crosby. Um, The project took seven years to complete, Hmm. but it included people like James Taylor, Jackson Brown, and
2: Bonnie Raitt. I have been trying to make this record for probably seven, eight years at least, and back then, I couldn't, you know, get shoes on both my feet at the same time. I was too completely out of it. And I certainly couldn't finish a record. When I got straight and and sat down to, to look at it again, it came easily. So, you know, I just went with the flow of it. And it, it was this triumphant kind of experience because... Obviously, you know, it was very satisfying to be able to do something that I hadn't been able to do before. And uh, also, well, you can tell, you know, from the the notes that it's like a who's who of who can sing and who can play guitar and stuff. And all of my friends, you know, kind of said, oh, wow, he didn't die. (laughs) You know, let's, you know, come on. And they, uh, they all jumped in and we all... You know, really, I had a tremendous amount of help, tremendous amount of support. It was incredibly, incredibly satisfying.
1: Wow, it's always good to hear when people get their lives together. But it's also interesting to note that a lot of this music was put together when he wasn't in great shape. Isn't that right? That's true. Yeah. But interestingly, Neil
0: Young told Crosby that if he could get off drugs, he'd record again as CSNY. It took many years but Neil followed through, and the result was the album *American Dream*, an album that mm, the band members don't look upon too fondly, and that Rolling Stone called a snooze fest. <laughs> <laughs> I asked about the starting point for the new songs.
3: I'm wondering what the what the real sort of jumping off point you describe in the book, uh, the writing of *Compass*, for example, uh, which went on *American Dream*. Big but while, point. What's the sort of the kickoff point for you to write the songs that went on this record? Was there one set of circumstances under which you started to write those songs?
2: The songs on this record come from before and after the bad, the bad times. Right. Uh, most of them from after. Mm-hmm. A lot of them written in prison. Uh, very few of them about prison. Because it's very difficult to write about that experience or recovering from drugs. You know, you don't want to write, oh, loady me, po me, I'm suffering down here. Because people will just laugh at you. And you also can't just, you know, write, Everything's going to be nice if you just say no. You know, because that's not true. But some of it, (sighs) Compass, yeah, Compass was a turning point because that's the one that was on the CSNY album. Mm -hmm. Because it it was the first really good set of lyrics, first really good song that I was able to come up with after. you got to understand, It was at least three years, and I'm being kind to myself. It might have been longer that I did not write anything at the end of the period of being a junkie. Mm -hmm. You know, just like nothing. So you can take the drugs-enhanced creativity theory and out the window.
1: Whoa. Wow, some of those songs were written in prison. You know, I I know it's not a great album, but I do like the title track. American Dream, and that kind of that... (laughs) that snarling Neil Young vocal, it was really like keyboard-driven. There was not much um, of a rock vibe to it. It was almost like a pop song. But Neil Young's vocal made that really kind of um, topical and fiery.
0: Yeah, and when you've got a guitar player of Stephen Still's caliber, just hold the synths. <laughs> <you
3: know? laughs> yeah, that's true. For me.
0: Yeah. He talked about working with Jackson Brown and Joni Mitchell Early in their careers,
3: you had a lot to do with uh, helping Jackson Brown get his career started, didn't you?
2: Well, yeah. He and and Joni Mitchell are probably the only two artists that came along that I ever thought were so stupendous that I had to do something. You know, I had to like set my music aside for a minute and try to help them. I produced Joni's first album for that reason, and I did all the harmonies on his first record for that reason, because they were just so good, man. You know, he's just so good, and he's such a nice guy. Uh, I have always loved his music. He's an incredible writer, an incredible singer, and and one of my very best friends, I might add. You know, so (laughs) it comes naturally
3: to do that with him. Did you know that about thirty feet from the bottom of this hotel, there's a what used to be a club called the River Boat, where Joni used to wash dishes. This is true. It's true. <laughs> I know because I later washed dishes in there yeah. too. <laughs> Did you know that I
2: played the Purple Onion, which wasn't far from this hotel either? Exactly, right on Yorkville Avenue. Yeah. Uh-huh. What what format was that in? That was in that was in cheap little acoustic guitar and me. <laughs> you know. It... huh Was that your first time playing in Canada? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I played there, I played in Hamilton, I played in some other tasty little
3: spots. Yeah, they're all still there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great memories about the folk music days of the Yorkville scene at the end there, Christopher. Great stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, we literally were overlooking
0: the Riverboat Cafe, where I had indeed worked as a dishwasher. <laughs> so had Johnny Mitchell. So, yay! <laughs> yep. But you know what, he has such enthusiasm too. I just love uh, the things that he says about artists. I love that he said, you know, their their work was so amazing I had to put aside my own to spend time with them. Mm. I asked him if he thought we'd see a time of experimentation again in popular music.
2: Uh, Look at Sting, Mm -hmm. could hardly call that format, Yeah. you know? There's a man who is crowding the barriers. I mean, there's a wonderful tune on that record in Seven. That's right. There's, there's, uh, there's They Dance Alone, which is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life. Ever. You know, there's just song after song of brilliance there. There's, you know, people like Tracy Chapman come along. I mean, it's, that's great writing. Mm. She's a great writer, you know, and she's such an understated person. She says, hi, how are you? That's it. You know, doesn't feel the need to, like, spew out any hip stuff about who she had dinner with at Spago last night or anything. And she's just gets up on the stage and stirs your brain with a spoon. She's powerful. Because she's talking about stuff that matters to her. You know? Powerful. I just did a gig with her, man. I was just in, you know, awestruck. I couldn't believe how good this girl was.
0: Crosby talked about the part turmoil has played in these bands.
3: When you went to make the record uh, American Dream with uh, Stills, Nash and Young, in, in, in the book there's some funny descriptions that say that if you guys had a great uh, fight during the sound check they knew it would be a wonderful show. Does it still take a lot of strife to, to create?
2: No, we're more careful about the strife these days. <laughs> um, uh, it can get out of hand too easy, you know. Uh. No, I think that, that was that was more just that we were able to turn turn make a fortunate turn, you know, from the adrenaline and take that energy and turn it around and turn it into, you know, performance power. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it as a way to do it. I would much rather work the way Nash and I work. You know, he's my aside from my wife, my best friend in the world. And and when we go on stage it's always exciting. But we're, you know, like <laughs> We're in a telepathic link-up. I can start the wrong verse. He'll start it with me. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm, uh, we're always laughing with each other and having a... It's so loose, and yet it's so locked, you know? Friendship and cooperation are are the best basis for music. Love. Best. Absolute best. Not Not turbulence and... And and uh, self-destructiveness and all this stuff that we, you know, we all did that because we wanted to be weather-beaten, blues-ridden, tough old guys, you know, because we were all kids and we felt like we were like little pink things, you know. We all wanted to be like old guys, you know, so we beat ourselves up, you know, but it
1: was a mistake. So let's go back to uh david crosby around that time when you were talking to him someone tried to pull off like a birds reunion and it didn't include any of the main players
0: no it was the wrong bird (laughs) it was the birds drummer michael clark and people are going to go who well he was apparently about to go out as the birds so
2: crosby took action i called up roger i called up christopher you know both of whom i'm very close friends with and i said hey guys this isn't right you know and they said, you're right, it's not. So we got together and played. Now, that doesn't automatically give us the name, but it does say, hey, look, here's the real thing. And for sure, man, no band that doesn't have Roger McGuinn in it is going to be the Birds ever. That's the truth, <laughs> you know. And, and when he and I, and Christopher, who's like just had three hit singles with his band, you know, he's very was, yeah. strong, you know, he's very confident. We got up there, man, and started playing. It was just magical. We cut into Chimes of Freedom, man, and I had hair standing up on my arms. I thought, wow. You know, I had forgotten how strong Roger McGuinn is. What a powerhouse he is. And uh, I had forgotten, you know, how good Chris is. See, Chris is like another integral part of it. There's, there's several elements of this thing. Chris didn't know any bass licks. He's a mandolin player. Right, yeah. He had no idea about the, you know, kind of, you know, regular bass licks. Didn't know how to do that. So he plays a running melody line on the bottom. It's not normal. Me, second, I sing weird harmony. Roger has a song sense a way of approaching a song, a rhythm that he adds to a song, where he very frequently will take a brilliant writer's song and do it better than them. This is a fact. Dylan knows it. Mm-hmm. I've heard Dylan say it. And he's got that 12 string style, which God knows everybody in the world's tried to copy one time or another, and nobody can do it. It was just magical. So I would not be at all surprised if we did it some more.
1: Oh, this is getting deep into the geekdom of details that you and I like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And speaking of them then we talked about songwriting.
1: Okay, now what can I tell you about songwriting
2: and guitar playing? Okay, songwriting happens every which way. Every way that it could happen, it does. For me. Sometimes the words first, sometimes the music first, sometimes both of them in one burst, sometimes the entire song is out in 20 minutes, sometimes I work on a piece of it, and seven years later I find the rest. Uh, Joni Mitchell taught me uh, when we were... Paramore, to to write stuff down in a book, which I never did before. She said, David, you're really stupid. And I said, excuse me? She said, you don't write anything down. I said, oh, yeah. So I write everything down. That's one thing.
1: Great stuff from David Crosby in 1989 in conversation with Christopher Ward. Christopher, that was an amazing interview. And he seems so yeah. candid and so forthcoming.
0: Yeah, thanks, Tom. It was really, really fun to do. And I had no real expectations of what he might be like, but he defies expectation, which is great in an interview subject. And for a guy who made so many enemies, he talked a lot about his friends and the people that meant the most to him in, in life. Yeah. He talked about the people who whose music he admired. He talked about Tracy Chapman. He talked about Sting. He spoke lovingly of Graham Nash and, of course, you know all of his other various partners over the years. Yeah, and um, it was it was all completely uh, sincere. I loved it.
1: And uh, we're going to hear what Stills, Nash, and Young had to say about David Crosby's passing in just a few minutes. Um, but I want to stick with this uh, this interview for a sec. So tell me about the moment he brought out his guitar and started playing.
0: Well, I was working on a series about songwriting at the time, right. and um, I brought my guitar with me just in case there was an opportunity. They were very tight with his time because he was not well, um, but he was so voluble about songwriting, it's like they couldn't stop him. Right. And um, <laughs> so he, he showed me um, Where a lot of his songs began, but he didn't really say anything. He just, he'd grab my guitar, change the tuning to an open guitar tuning, which he had learned from Joni Mitchell, and he pointed that out. Yeah. And then he would play, you know, 16 or 32 bars of uh, the intro to Guinevere or Deja Vu or something. And he'd look at me and he'd go, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, see? See what I mean? This, right. <laughs> and he was just so impish and, and delightful and engaging, and, and that, that was a fun moment in the interview.
1: Okay, Christopher, I can't take it anymore. We actually have to play that segment here. It sounds so good. It's a lot of fun, and if you're a CSNY fan, see if you can uh, spot the songs that he's playing in this kind of impromptu medley, David Crosby, with Christopher Ward's guitar.
2: The other thing for me about writing is that I'm not a great guitar player. I fool people. (laughs) You know, they think, "Ah, you played some weird stuff. I retuned the guitar. All of a sudden, with two fingers, you can be doing
1: So much fun. Awesome. awesome. is that fun? I, yeah. Yes, that's great. Wonderful. Okay, Christopher, so let's jump back to the early days. Here are a trio of clips that I'm guessing are from 1970, the very early days of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I, I'm wondering if this was even before Young joined the group. Anyway, let's pick it up with those clips. Tom,
0: Crosby talks about
1: the name
4: Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That name, which is an absurdity, is forced upon us in self-defense by the fact that uh, we don't want to be the Zambezis or Jimmy and the Jets or some name that implies some structure other than a bunch of people just being people. That is who we are. We are just a group of musicians, man, cats who want to play and sing and write songs and make music. That's our gig. And we are not trying to be some superhuman entity, uh, you know, the, the mighty warriors of dawn or some kind of crap. Uh, uh, If there were a group name, I promise you, that described what it is we want to do that we could find, and believe me, we tried, Uh, we would probably use it uh, for the simplicity of it because nobody likes sounding like a law firm. Uh, Also, it's absurd to call a six-man group by four names because the other two cats are just as important. Can you dig it? The only reason that it winds up being the four names is that's what the promoters and the record-buying public are paying for because we're the names they know about.
1: That is a perfect clip which captures Crosby's hippie vibe. I love that.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
0: always in force. Yes. Here he talks about what CSN represents to him.
4: It represents uh, freedom. and represents uh, uh, the attainment of things that I've been trying to accomplish since I started. It represents getting a hell of a lot of the peripheral uh, surrounding out of the way of the music. And uh, it represents uh, a great amount of friendship and uh, it represents the, the best collection of, of music that I have been able to be involved with yet in my life. I mean, the cats all are very musical people. And they are concerned with the music, you know, that is their prime motivation.
1: You can tell that they know they are creating something new and really special, but they're feeling their way through the whole process. Well, I think
0: he knows that the key to it is the blend of the vocals. I mean, they all had massive amounts of talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's face it, when you look back, um, he's the major um, architect of that vocal blend. Exactly. In this clip, he compares his new band to past working relationships.
4: There isn't anybody in this band that is interested in, in ceasing to grow. Previous organizations that we might have been involved with, uh, it might have been the first, uh, the first chance uh, that anybody had had at a piece of success. You know, in the minute they got any, they said, "Right, I found my level," and it stopped right there. And these people are all growing. That brings us together. Uh, there is also the fact that in this band nobody is trying to play a role. Uh, these are people, human beings. They communicate as such, even through the records. They communicate as people, you know, uh, uh, because we're aware of each other as as human beings and not as the rhythm guitar player or the drummer. You know, the, I mean, we're not trying to act out a hard day's night. We, these are real people, and they're doing something they really believe in, and it's their gig. And they're not, uh, you know, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to deal with them because they are very real. All of them are very real and they are just not interested in playing that, those games.
1: And those guys would be the closest of friends and the worst of enemies in the coming years. Following his passing, we heard almost immediately from Graham Nash and then Stephen Stills. And it took a while, but we eventually did hear from mm. Neil Young. So, Christopher, you want to uh, share with us what Stephen Stills wrote? Stephen Stills,
0: talking about his friend David Crosby, said, quote, David and I butted heads a lot over time, <laughs> but they were mostly glancing blows, <laughs> yet still left us with numb skulls. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> I was happy to be at peace with him. He was without question a giant of a musician and his harmonic sensibilities were nothing short of genius. Mm. The glue that held us together as our vocals soared like Icarus towards the sun. I am deeply saddened at his passing and shall miss him beyond measure.
1: That's wonderful. And so, Christopher, what about, uh, what about Graham Nash?
0: Well, Nash said, It is with a deep and profound sadness that I learned that my friend David Crosby has passed. I know people tend to focus on how volatile our relationship has been at times, but what has always mattered to David and me more than anything was the pure joy of the music we created together, the sound we discovered with one another, and the deep friendship we shared over all these many long years. David was fearless in life and in music. He leaves behind a tremendous void as far as sheer personality and talent in this world. He spoke his mind his heart, and his passion through his beautiful music and leaves an incredible legacy. These are the things that matter most. My heart is truly with his wife, Jan, his son, Django, and all of the people he has touched in this world.
1: And we finally, finally heard from Neil Young, you know, which was really great because they had... Just a horrible fallout when David Crosby said some things about Neil Young's partner, Daryl Hannah. But anyway, so it was so great when Neil Young actually acknowledged uh, David Crosby's passing.
0: Well, here's what Neil said. David is gone, but his music lives on. The soul of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. David's voice and energy were at the heart of our band. His great song stood for what we believed in. And it was always fun and exciting when we got to play together. Almost Cut My Hair and Déjà Vu and so many other great songs he wrote were wonderful to jam on. And Stills and I had a blast as he kept going on and on. We had so many great times, especially in the early years. Crosby was a very supportive friend in my early life as we bit off big pieces of our experience together. David was the catalyst for many things. My heart goes out to Jan and Django, his wife and son. Lots of love to you. Thanks, David, for your spirit and songs. Love you, man. I remember the best times.
1: Well, I can't think of a better way of ending that tribute to David Crosby, who has passed away at the age of 81. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you, Tom.